Hello, dear listener, and welcome to yet another episode of The Inforium. Joined by uh, me and my friend Martin Bamey. What's up? Yeah, I'm uh, sitting here listening I was, to that voice. Just I was always. so distracted by the stupid voice that I didn't even know what to say next. <laughs> Look, it's a stressful month. More for you than me, but there's a lot going on. Yeah, I think the stress will be rewarding in the end. That's true. Well, for you, me, I don't know why yours. Why is your month stressful? I just have a lot going on. Uh, I set a bunch of goals for myself, like get four videos out, and I've been doing these little social media videos as well. So I have a goal okay. for getting those out. Well, those are allegedly like rewarding stresses too. So they are, and uh, I have That's a good. list of them. And when I achieve all of them, I will buy a power rack for my garage. That's the project for this month. What's a power rack? Uh, if you've ever been to a gym, you've probably seen like the places where people do squats and it's like a big cage almost that the bar is inside. Oh, that. Yep. Didn't know. Yeah. It's like four pillars and they're all welded together. It's like a rectangle. The muscle Um, cage. Pretty much. Yeah. It's going to be a lot safer to lift in than what I currently have, which is a, a bench press thing from Dick Sporting Goods. That's just two poles and an adjustable bench but you can take the catch pins for the bar out from the front side and flip them around to the back and use it for squatting. Uh, when, when I built this and I didn't buy it, my friend Charles lent it to me. I looked at it and immediately thought, Oh, okay. They built that. So you could bench, but also squat off the back. And then I looked at the, the like sales page for it recently. Nope. They do not mention squatting or using the back of it at all. So, and I oh. kind of understand why, because I have been successfully squatting off the back of it easily, but there is no safety. Like I can flip around the bench catch pins to the back too, but they're not like, they don't come out enough. And even if they did, if they caught me, I would probably just topple the entire thing over because it isn't a stable thing. It's not a structure like a power rack is. So it's non-regulation muscle growth, Tom. Uh, that's true. I'm getting swole in an illegal way. Yeah. It's against, that's the not rules. true. I'm not on the roids. I, uh, I'm on whey protein though. That's pretty, I don't know. It's pretty gray market right there. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. But you're moving in uh what a week. It's sometime between the 15th and 20th. It depends on how, um, some other people like my landlord time certain things so that I can officially pass off the keys. So but there's no specific be... move in date at your new place. I can do whenever after the 15th. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I don't have that many things, well, that's cool. so I'm not. I don't even really need to book the elevator. I'm yeah. I'm paring down a lot, and uh, should be pretty cool. Anyway, this Tuesday, right now, this is the last full week of Colorado life that I have. By the time people are hearing this, I will be in the actual moving week. And you may be in. I I may maybe in, fact, in Minnesota. I may be in Minnesota by that time. It is hard to know, but yeah, I like the mystery. What a state. Hey, you get to move there as spring is starting, so that's actually kind of nice. Yeah, it's pretty good timing. I don't want to move in winter, you know, anywhere because that yeah. seems like a hassle. Let well, see, alone this is... driving from Colorado through Nebraska and Iowa and Minnesota. None of those four want me to drive in winter. None nope. of them do. Sounds terrible. So that would suck. See, this is why I do not live in Minnesota. Because I just don't want to experience that went that weather ever. 
Well, I mean, you don't have to drive 13 hours on a daily basis. You know, the, the moving thing is That's just true. once. And I work from home in a city with the biggest skywalk thing possibly in the world. It, it's not going to be the worst yeah. thing I've ever experienced. You're not going to live in the skywalk. You no, could. But, you know, there are more connections than usual. It'll, it'll be better than Iowa was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that skywalk system is huge. I mean, Iowa's is pretty dang big too, but uh, that one is, I think it's the, you said it was the biggest one in the world, right? I heard that recently. I didn't fact check it, you know. I, I don't yeah. know because I don't actually care if it's true or not. The point is it's big, and I believe that that point is true. Sweet. Well, you're moving. Um, I'm working on getting the investing video finished up in terms of scripting. Uh, this video is taking me a lot longer than most videos would just because I have a lot of supplemental supplemental, supplemental uh, material that I'm releasing around it, including a, a personal finance tech tree that I've been building I think I mentioned this last week. I love games like Civilization that have tech trees where you have to research things and then move up into different eras and things like that. Uh, and I also realized it's actually kind of a perfect format for sort of visualizing the things that you should do on your personal finance journey. And I wanted to have that ready because one of the points in the investing video is on when to start investing. Um, a lot of people just make it very simple and they say, start now, or you should have started yesterday. And the real answer is start when you're ready. And I wanted to be able to visualize very clearly, you know, what does it mean to be ready to start investing? So I actually have it mostly done. Um, I'm just adding detail to each little node on the tree. So there are extra resources people can go check out. But in the show notes, I'm going to put that in there. And uh, I think that video should be out by the time this goes live because this is going live next week, right? Yeah. Cool. So yeah, that's, that's my big thing today. Uh, and because of that, I would like to get through this episode lickety split. So we're doing a classic format that we used to do all the time. Five questions. Yeah. First one on the Inforium though. So it's it the is beginning the beginning of the classic. That's true. Five cult member questions. Don't put that in the title. Yeah. I'm going to keep the word cult out of our SEO for that. <laughs> um, I don't know that I want the, that those research search results to happen it could just be a thing where you know you know it's just the inside joke on the podcast and then when google starts to uh transcribe podcasts automatically then they'll know that this is a big cult yeah but they can't know until we're big enough hey look we have uh we have really comfortable hooded robes yeah so it's a benevolent cult it's actually a friend of mine went to france a while ago for i think it was ubisoft was doing a promotion for and this is hilarious to me they're doing a promotion for far cry 5 which is set in montana so they flew out my friends from the united states to this area they had set up to sort of resemble the cult compound in the game from montana uh in france <laughs> makes sense which i don't know, i guess i think ubisoft has like got a lot of french connections and i think some of their offices are maybe in france it makes sense yeah. but uh they actually had a session with a cult expert who said that the definition of a cult is actually a lot broader than people think. And there are benef there are benevolent cults and there are harmful cults. And the main difference is that the leader of the benevolent cults usually has checks and balances to keep them from completely seizing power. And when you look at cults from that definition, you can point out a lot of things that would fall under that conventional definition of cult. They're just, you know, not harmful and they're not convincing people to go to some island in Central America and drink Kool-Aid. All right, so we got a cult apologist, Tom, over here. 
<laughs> All I'm saying is, look, there's checks and balances this here. Isn't so building if this up is a cult, anything. it's fine. Because I'm not your dad. Can't tell what you do. Anyway, uh, so five questions episodes. If you are new to the show, we take questions from our comments section. We've got a YouTube channel for this podcast, the Inforium over on YouTube. And we get a lot of questions from the comment section there. We take questions that we get on Twitter, on Instagram. Basically, smoke signals any kind of way that you can connect with us and send us questions. And we uh, take five interesting ones and do a rapid fire lightning round style episode on them. So today we have five already. But if you have questions that you would like answered on the show, well, then uh, you can send us them on YouTube or Twitter or wherever you want. First one here, uh, analysis paralysis is by downfall. I have so many things to do that I can't figure out where to start. I feel like my head is spinning and I just can't focus. I end up being busy all day, but get nothing actually done. So how can I choose which things to do first? This person actually has a pretty narrow definition of uh, analysis paralysis with their particular problem. That's because fair. this this is just an ordering problem rather than like, you know, pure analysis paralysis. I cannot make a decision. So maybe it's a it'll decision be easy. Of, of the ordering of which to do. It's a specific decision. You're saying. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is a question that I've tackled quite a few times in my videos. Um, I find that when I'm looking at a list of things I need to do today, there's usually one that stands out to me as the one that my brain has the most resistance towards doing. And usually that task is the most important one. It's the one that will make the most impact on my business or my life. So that's kind of step one for me is, is identifying, okay, what is like the critical task, the critical path, maybe if you were to think about it in project management parlance. And uh, then the question is to ask yourself, are you the kind of person who can immediately jump into that task? And are you better off doing that? Or are you the kind of person who gets a little bit of momentum built up by doing some smaller tasks first and then getting into that big thing? That is a question that I can't answer for you because it's personal to each person. Some people, just like some people are night owls and some people are early birds, some people need to build momentum and some people really need to eat the frog and do that really tough thing first. Yeah, and that, it could know. even depend on like the day. If you're having a really bad day, maybe you can't do the tough thing first. Um, I will say I've actually had to deal with this sort of an issue for a lot of basically equal value tasks lately because my house is entirely filled with small tasks and errands and things that all and the thing is all of them need to be done there is no most important and mm -hmm. i've been finding that in that case i'll if i get into this habit where i'm trying to plan out how to solve all of it at once i'll find one where i don't know the answer yet like i don't know what i'm doing with the guitar hmm and then i will let that stall me from doing all the things that didn't have any question marks involved so if if i can't tell which is most important the answer is probably it doesn't matter. Literally just do yeah. any of them, anything at all, any anything except nothing. And actually, ironically, that's the reason this question is the first question, because I couldn't decide which one to do first. And I was just like, <laughs> oh, who cares? I'm, I'll just put this one there. Done. And now it's here mm -hmm. and it's working. Well, this kind of brings us to a more general aspect of analysis paralysis and how to deal with it, which is... I think uh, especially in the productivity world and people who want to have a lot of control of their lives, we are very uncomfortable with the idea that uh, we need to make decisions before we have all the information. And there's maybe this yeah. sort of erroneous belief that, oh, hey, if we just study a bit harder or do a bit more preparation, we can get all the relevant information and make a perfect decision. 
And in reality, in many cases, you literally cannot get all the information and you have to make an imperfect decision, which means that there's some aspect of luck that is mixed in with your skill and the knowledge that you brought in that's going to determine the outcome. So yeah, you don't even know yeah. what that task holds yet until you've started it. You, mm-hmm. you can't know. I've actually been thinking about this uh, quite clearly in the past week or so because I joined a group of people, like a couple of YouTubers who play poker and I've never played poker before. So naturally what I do when I get into something is start reading everything about it. And uh, I'm reading a book by Annie Duke, who's like a world championship poker player in uh, past years. Uh, She's also a psychologist. And she's kind of, the whole point of the book that she wrote called Thinking in Bets is everything we do is a bet, even if we don't really think about it explicitly. Like if I decide to take a job, or I guess in your case, if you are deciding to move to Minneapolis, even if you don't think about it, you are literally betting on one particular future being more pleasant to you than others than staying here or to moving to any other state you're making a bet on that and when you explicitly recognize that you're making bets on things then you become more comfortable with the fact that you're making decisions based on incomplete information uh and i'm actually kind of realizing that learning to play poker and learning to get a little bit comfortable with literally putting money on the line in decisions where i can't possibly know everything is probably going to be helpful in other areas of my life because I am one of those people who really likes to have all the information if I can. And I get a little bit uncomfortable making decisions if I'm like, "Eh, I don't know what's going to happen. And if I can get comfortable with the fact that sometimes I'm going to lose and sometimes I'm going to win and the outcome actually doesn't perfectly correlate to my decision-making quality. If I can get comfortable with that, then I'm going to be able to make decisions faster. So coming back to your point about, you know, what is the most important thing in your house moving tasks, you don't know what it is, but you can make a bet on, let's start with this one. And even if that didn't turn out to be the most important one, that the potential downside is probably pretty low. So it kind of doesn't matter. Yeah, and I will probably learn slowly, oh wait, this is way bigger than I thought, therefore this is important. And that book sounds really interesting because I've absolutely talked to Ashley about stuff in those words saying that like, this is a bet. We have no idea. We basically just assume tomorrow is going to be roughly like today. Mm -hmm. We we don't actually know anything. Yeah. And that's just really, it is really hard. I think for productivity minded people to let go of the fact that even if we have organized information in every possible way, we can't control our life. Yeah. Yeah. You absolutely can't. You can't. You never know what's going to happen. Um, if that book is interesting, do you want to maybe do a podcast on it at some point? Yeah. Yeah. That'd, Sweet. that'd be cool. It's not super long. It's like less than 200 pages, I think. So, Oh, that'd be nice. I'm trucking through it. Um, taking some notes. So it might be one that I want to do a video on kind of like the, uh, hyper focus video. Yeah. So, and I think we had done a podcast on that too. So we could just do the same thing, have a deeper discussion. But, um, yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of the, the philosophy that I bring to the table when it comes to making decisions where there's incomplete information, including, you know, how should I order, order my tasks? Uh, and I guess to summarize it, you know, the order of your tasks at the end of the day is not like a life or death situation. It kind of doesn't really matter as long as you can get them all done. So what you have to do is observe yourself and figure out what kind of personality do I have regarding tough, uh, tough tasks things that I have a lot of resistance to. 
if I'm the kind of person, and I know I am this kind of person who will just uh, jump to all the easier ones and then end up filling the whole day and never actually get into the hard one, then the answer is, okay, just set a timer, turn it into a Pomodoro session, turn it into an input-based thing at first to reduce that resistance, work for half an hour on that task, and hopefully I get into it and actually complete it. Uh, But if not, I've at least made some progress. If I don't do that, then yeah, I'm going to spend the whole day dealing with my email and I'm going to see an email about like a plugin update and that's going to send me down a rabbit hole and, oh, hey, now I've convinced myself I should spend my entire day learning how to like style a toggle on my website. This is totally, totally made up example, by the way. Yeah, def- definitely. Definitely you did not, made up. You did not send me a screenshot of toggles <laughs> not too long ago. <laughs> totally made up example, uh, hypothetical entirely, you know, fabricated. But yeah, you know, if you're that kind of person, then if you don't do the hard thing first, if you don't eat the frog, then you're probably just going to create a cascading rabbit hole of unimportant tasks and never do that. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, Question number two, unless you have anything to add there. Nope. All right. Number two, I just can't work from home. I can easily work in an office or a library or a coffee shop or even on a picnic bench, but not at home. Is there any way to help this? I'm gonna let you take this one at first because you you work in your car sometimes, which baffles yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I've mentioned uh, before and somewhere that I like to write in my car, actually, mm-hmm. and I like to do admin things on my car too, like go through my emails, anything that I can put on my iPad that feels a little more casual. So I will literally drive out to somewhere, park next to a tree, and kind of just you know I'll turn the car off. I'm not gonna kill the earth or anything, and then I'll just kind of put this put the ipad up on the steering wheel have i have it balanced so that it's like a monitor i'll have a keyboard in my lap so i can type i still have to reach up to touch the thing but Mm -hmm. i actually enjoy that furthermore i'm in my car somewhere else not near any of my things at home even furthermore i'm on an ipad which is like a limited amount of things on the screen at once type device it is inconvenient for me to get distracted so that's why I like writing in my car. Um, yeah. In my old apartment, I loved to write and work and read on my balcony, and I assume I will continue that in the next one. Um, I assume that this would also just work on a porch. If they're mentioning that a picnic bench works, like you could mm-hmm. get the same, get a chair, just literally go sit outside. Yeah, right in the right in the front of your house and make yourself an outdoor thing. Maybe put up an umbrella for shade or something. Well, it seems like the common thread here for you choosing the iPad, using your car, getting away from your things is you're cutting out options that don't involve work. Absolutely. That's why home is terrible for me because it's surrounding me with other chores and tasks and things. And that's, I think probably a common issue. You could also have kids at home or other family at home, just the people in general. Mm Mm-hmm you got to isolate yourself from that somehow. And I usually do it by leaving. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, same the, I've run into a bit of a problem where there's a pretty darn good coffee shop near my new house, sort of near because my new house is very suburby. Uh, but their Wi-Fi is not very good. So if I need to do any kind of work that needs internet research or anything, like it's just not going to happen there or it's going to happen very slowly. And you know, when the internet's super slow or something won't load, it just, it's just not going to work. So, uh, I have had to teach myself to work at home 
on days when I'm not willing to drive like half an hour to go somewhere. And for me, it is like the same general concept where I want to create separation and reduce the options that aren't involved in the task I need to do. So uh, we talked about this in our work from home episode, but if you can set up an area of your house that is for work, it's probably still not going to be as nice as going out to a coffee shop or a library, but it's going to be better than if you're like just trying to find a place that has all sorts of connotations around it, all sorts of contexts and trying to force yourself to do the work in that place. So I don't know, set up a desk, set up something against a wall. If you have the luxury of, of, you know, building a home office, do that. But if if you don't, you know, put a table against a wall and have that be your desk area. Uh, Just create that separation and that should hopefully help you get over the resistance that being at home causes. And I want to bring that up because a lot of people just do not have the option of leaving home right now, you know? Yeah. And not even, not everybody has a balcony. Not everybody Mm -hmm. even has a porch. Um, I remember back in Ankeny, I had the two desks with the like shoji screen divider in the middle, you could make that pretty easily with like a, I don't know what to call it, but like one of those stands that you could, you could put a curtain on it potentially just a cheap stand. You could like corner off part of the room Mm -hmm. that way you don't see your TV with your games or your kitchen with the food and everything. It's really just kind of out of sight, out of mind when I do have to work at home. If I can see the other stuff, it'll ruin me. Yeah. Though, I mean, the other thing is uh, at a certain point you have to, you have to figure out like, okay, why is my environment causing me this much hesitation and paralysis? Is there another problem with my work? You know, sometimes you're in a program or you're in a job where you can't easily leave and you just got to get it done. That's why we talk about first the ways you can optimize your workspace. But with the degree of freedom you have, it's worth you know, analyzing why is one table here, you know, so awful to work at? Why do I need the perfect place to work? Because I remember when I was first building College Info Geek, I did not care where I did my work. A lot of my best work was done in my dorm room, under my loft bed with you and all of our other friends in the room playing video games, like the most distracting environment ever. But I cared about what I was doing so much that I just blocked it out. And, you know, a lot of times now it's it's not the case. And sometimes I'll be obsessed with one thing and I can do it wherever. And sometimes it's like, Ugh, I just can't get into it unless I'm in the perfect environment. But, uh, you know, with the amount of control I have over my work, I want to try to pick things to work on that are more over on that uh, passionate side of the spectrum. So I don't have to care so much about the environment. Yeah, and if you can't do that, uh, even with things I have to finish here that I can't go do in my car on an iPad, if I can just get them started, I'll try to do this on the iPad somewhere else, even if it's in the house, just so it's low pressure. I'll just start like writing a bunch of nonsense with the iPad somewhere else, not even looking at what I'm typing. But once it's started and you can get into the focus after, maybe like a Pomodoro session or two, it gets a lot easier for me to suddenly do it anywhere because now I'm 30% through it. And yeah. I can't think about anything else. I get a little obsessive once I hit a certain threshold. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, obviously this is an area where you might not have a whole lot of control, but it's something that's worth at least considering, right? Yeah. So, okay. So next question, where did my notion go? Uh, question number three, 
I use the getting things done method and the app things to create and keep track of my tasks. I even have a keyboard shortcut to add things so I can near instantly add new tasks with no friction. But this has created a big problem for me as the volume of inbox items I create is massive. And sorting through and organizing them has become a chore and I lose motivation to use the system. And at some point, I just resort to using a pen and paper to track my tasks daily. So you've mentioned doing a reset sprint before, but it's getting exhausting to have to do one every couple of weeks. How can you take advantage of a task management system without being bogged down by the sheer volume of inbox items? So, I mean, my immediate reaction here is if uh, you have, if you're putting things in your task inbox and even like a bi-weekly reset sprint is, is not enough to manage the volume, you're just putting too many tasks on yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And probably 80% of those weren't even, they're not important enough to do Yeah, clearly because you continue to live without having done them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, I've done this a bunch of times. This used to happen when I was way more into trying to track everything in my life. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it happens to me too. A lot of times what I'm putting in my task inbox, which should probably be reserved for things that need to be done are, you know, it would be nice if this got done. And it's always yeah. like, I think it's the same thing for everyone. It's that vision of your future self. Oh, my future self is going to have so much free time right now. I'm busy. I got a lot going on. I'm stressed, but future Tom, he's not busy. He's got no stress. He will obviously be able to do this pie in the sky thing. That's not really that important, but you know, it would be cool if it got done. So you put it on your task list and it gets mixed in with things you actually need to do or things that are urgent, but not super high priority, you know, medium priority things. And all of a sudden it becomes like this overwhelming jumble and you can't really parse through what's really important and what was just a kind of nice to have thing. So maybe have a separate list for like, you know, is this actually important or like does a it bonus not matter? list? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, now one little kind of hack that I've done with my notion setup is uh, and I don't think I've actually put this in the um, ultimate tasks template yet, but I can do an update at some point with it. I have uh, a view called cold tasks and let me see if I can bring it up actually. Um, cold tasks. I'm trying to see what my actual filter criteria on it is. Here it is. Oh my gosh. Click the wrong button. Um, filter is anything that has not been done yet and I believe is more than two weeks old. I think I have the, the week thing set in a, in, a, in a formula. But if, yeah, if something has gone two weeks and it hasn't been marked off, so if the due date is two weeks older or older more, then it goes into this cold tasks area and it removes itself from wherever it otherwise would be. Like, you know, if it's in the inbox, it's gonna come out of the inbox. If it's in a project, uh, I think the projects will still list themselves as cold, but it's not going to be in like next seven days. It's not going to be like next month. It's in cold and cold tells me, okay, these obviously were not that important because I didn't do them and my life hasn't come crashing down, but they're at least somewhere. So if I have like a Sunday where I'm like, Hey, it's a task batching Sunday. I'm going to just get a bunch of stuff done. I can go in there, look at these things and then kind of evaluate. Okay. Did I actually care about create spec notion style guide page. Uh, maybe not, or maybe it's something that I'd still want to do someday. I'm going to give it like a far in the, uh, far in the future due date, or I'm going to put it in a project called someday, you know, something like that. Um, 
you know, obviously it's still management, but you at least have some kind of filter criteria that's going to get it out of your inbox once you have demonstrated by not doing it and not updating the due date that you don't actually care that much about it. Yeah. And I think with this, they mentioned using paper, which I actually do for my daily tasks for the explicit reason that stuff goes away. I never look at the old pages, just like I probably wouldn't look at the cold tasks list unless I specifically was like, wait, there was something. There was yeah. something I wanted to do, and then it would still be there. I could flip to an old page. I could look at the cold tasks list. But more than likely, I didn't need it. And I think, with me at least, part of the reason I was putting so many things in these systems in the past was it was sort of a way to ease my anxiety about forgetting things, about not having control over my life, mm-hmm. about not accomplishing enough. So I'll put the task in a list because that says future Martin's not going to forget. And that takes some of the pressure off. I'm no longer, I'm like, I've got it all under control. But like I mentioned earlier, even if you map every single thing out into a wonderful, beautiful system, like you're going to procrastinate, you're going to forget things, and that's going to happen regardless. You can't control your life, even mm-hmm. if you have the perfect, perfect system. So you you don't need to put every single thing. Like I had a time where I was putting do laundry in my t- in my daily task <laughs> list, and it was like, you know what? I'm. It turns out I remember to do laundry because I run out of clothes. Yeah. And then I just, then I remember to do the laundry. I didn't need to do it every three days formula or something. Mm-hmm. Some things you just do because you realize they're important. One thing that might help people take seriously the fact that your future self is likely to be just as stressed and busy as you are is uh, keep a quick journal. At the end of the day, it doesn't have to be like, dear diary, today I went to Dairy Queen and I got a flurry. But just a quick couple of sentences about how busy you felt, how stressed you felt and maybe what you did and then keep that accessible. So when you're thinking, Oh yeah, future Tom's going to be able to do this crazy thing. It's so easy. He's got all the free time in the world. Look back at the journal and you'll be able to see, Oh yeah. Consistently over the last six months, I've been busy all the time. And, uh, it's, it's very unlikely that that's going to change. So maybe this is just something that I need to let go. Or, you know, if I'm like, if for me, it needs to be, maybe this is something I need to delegate. Yeah. Not do Actually, that's a really good thing. I forgot about my goal notebook, which gives me exactly that kind of data mm-hmm. too, specifically. I haven't been using it because I actually decided for these couple weeks, I don't have time for any sort of daily goal. I realized that the only important yeah. task couldn't be managed with checkboxes. But Mm -hmm. normally, that would be telling me. Have I succeeded? Have I failed every single time I've tried to do this daily? If so, maybe it's not something I care about daily. Yeah. Or maybe it's something that is very good for you, but like you just haven't built a system yet that keeps you accountable enough to do it. Yeah. Like maybe it's hard. Maybe I'm doing it the wrong time of day. Maybe I need Mm -hmm. to up to stakes. But if you get that data for your past self, you can actually get the real vision of what future you probably is. Yeah. And sometimes like upping the stakes is really what you need to do. Like I'm at a point right now where I've just been, I've been working all day, every day for quite a while. And, uh, like I'm so into this project that I'm working on that when it comes time to lift, I don't want to do it. And there's a, there's a big part of my brain that's like, ah, just, okay. Finish the project. Take the next two weeks. Just finish it out. Who cares? And then you can get back to lifting. But I know that I am not going to be equally as efficient in 10 hours of work 
uh, as I would be in nine plus one hour of lifting. If I compress my time frame, yeah. I'm going to be better. So I have my coach and he's got the workout scheduled for me and he expects me to get them done. That helps me get my butt into the garage and get them done. And I did this in the past too, like with my book. I'm super glad that I wrote my book. The only reason I wrote it is because I had a 500 uh, word per day goal in Habitica, which I've actually started using again. Nice. I only have a few little dailies in there, but I've been checking them off every day and it's been kind of fun. So there's a part of me that kind of wants to just like reset my character. I might do it. We'll see. I have some secret like weapons and armor that I got for contributing to Habitica and I hope that I don't lose those. But uh, you might be able to reset just the experience without losing those. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'll look into it because at this point, like I've had the character for so long that all that progress means nothing. So I should probably just start back at level one again. Yeah. But yeah, if you want to do it again, it's party up, bro. I definitely have the habit of putting too much stuff into that particular (laughs) system because it starts to reward me with game armor. I only have five dailies, I think. I'm somewhat of a hundred percenter, and this is dangerous for me. I'd I'd have to be very careful. That's fair. Hey, I can check off read, and I took my vitamin. Boom. Sometimes I forget to take my vitamin, even though it's gummy vitamin. I don't even know how it's possible. (laughs) All right, question number four. How can I start building credit? Much more succinct question there. Yeah. I tried to balance it as I was going through so that it wasn't like 17 big questions in a row. Yeah. That's a good question. Uh, So I guess I have to put this up front. We live in America. I don't know if every other country in the world has the same credit building system that we have. So if I say something specific, then it may not apply to your country, but most developed economies still do handle the building of credit philosophically in a similar way. Prove that you can wisely use credit and you typically will have more credit available to you. Also have more income or savings or um, a higher income to debt ratio then, and you'll have more credit accessible to you. So that being said, I guess that caveat of the way, uh, I'll talk about how we do it here in the United States because I think a lot of it will transfer over. So here in the States, we have credit scores. And uh, I forget the exact range that they go from. It's like, I think it's like four something up to 850. And there's three credit reporting bureaus and they all give you a different score, but they're usually pretty similar. And uh, you can get a account on Credit Karma and you can see your credit score for free. So I've been tracking this like it's a game score for probably 10 years. And I was always mad because you had a higher one than me. And I don't even know how. Maybe student, maybe I'm more popular. student loans. Maybe they just like you better. Like I Martin Bamey seems like a more know. credit worthy name than Thomas Frank. Yeah, look at that guy. Look at that. Yeah, I don't know. Thomas I mean, Frank, at... that's two first names. He's already trying to confuse us. That's true. Yeah, Frank. Is it Frank Can't Thomas? Trust him. Thomas Frank. Can't tell. Um, but essentially, there are two types of credit that you can get that both help to build your credit as long as you use them wisely. Those are installment credit, which are things like student loans, car loans, mortgages, you know, a thing where you take out a certain sum of money and you pay it back over time. And then there's revolving credit, which includes credit cards. And that is basically like you have a line of credit that you can uh, use. And then when you pay that balance down, you have 
that whatever's left over again available to you. So like with a credit card, I may have a $5,000 line of credit and I can borrow up to $5,000 at a time. And as long as I pay that back at the end of the period, I now have another $5,000 that I can borrow. Uh, if I don't pay it all back, say I spend $2,000 in the credit card at the end of the month, I pay a hundred dollar um, minimum payment. Well, then I've used, I still have, I still have a hundred, 1,900 of that line in use and uh, 3,100 is available to me instead of 5,000. So those are the two kinds that you can get. The beautiful thing about building your credit score is that you can do it without ever having to pay a cent of interest. And you do that by using revolving credit, a credit card, and you do it by paying off your balance in full at the end of every month, which is called being a deadbeat. They call it being a deadbeat because you never give the credit card company any money in the form of interest or in the form of late payments because you forgot to pay your bill. Uh, they don't hate deadbeats because deadbeats still go out and they use the credit cards and they create credit card processing fees at the stores they go to. So like, don't think the credit card company is going to cancel your credit card because you're not ever paying any interest. Uh, and don't think that you don't build a credit score if you keep paying off your balance in full every month, because you're still showing that you can responsibly borrow money and pay it back. And they're still happily taking fees from gas stations and Whole Foods and Amazon and wherever you use a credit card. So when I was 18 years old, I got a credit card and that is exactly what I did. I just would use it. And then at the end of every month, I had it automatically pay my balance in full from my bank account. So the way that I saw it is my credit card is not a loan that I can take out. It's not money I can borrow. Now it effectively is, but the way I see it in my brain is my credit card is just an extra step that my money flows through from my bank account when I wanna buy something. This means a couple of things. If I have money in my bank account and I'm willing to spend it, then I can buy whatever that I wanna buy as long as I can afford it from my bank account. But if I wanna buy something, and I have the credit for it, but I don't have that money in my bank account, or I wouldn't, I wouldn't willingly pay it with my debit card, then I don't buy it on a credit card. And using this philosophy, along with having an automatic payment set up at the credit card company means I'm never going to carry a balance, I'm never gonna pay a cent of interest, and I'm never going to have a late fee. And that's really the best way to build credit. I mean, if you need to take a loan for something, if you need to take out student loans to go to school or a mortgage or whatever it is, then you're gonna build credit that way too. But in those cases, you're always paying interest. So it's kind of yeah. nice that there's a way where you can build your credit where you never have to pay anything. Um, now, the one caveat here is when I was 18, it was, I think it was 2009, but it was right before they passed this law about like giving credit cards to young people. And so at the time and before that, credit card companies would basically just like throw credit cards at people who are over 18 and give out free Frisbees and water bottles and be like, hey, we're cool. Come spend a lot of money with us. Uh, and you can see why they maybe wanted to pass a law <laughs> to make it harder for young people to get yeah. credit cards because a lot of people don't understand how credit cards work. And they're like, so this credit card is 500 free dollars. Is that what you're saying? And they're like, mm, let's just go with that. Sure. You just got to pay your minimum payment and uh, maybe get stuck in debt forever. But yeah, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, so they passed a law where now if you're under 21, you have to prove that you have recurring income or you have to get a co-signer, like a parent or somebody to basically sign on to the credit card along with you. And then if you screw up, it would actually affect their credit too. 
uh, co-signing for a credit card is typically a bad idea for the co-signer. And, you know, I don't recommend people co-sign for other people's things if there's another way. Luckily, there is another way, and that is getting a secured credit card, where essentially you go and you put down some collateral, say 200 bucks, and that becomes your credit line. And with a secured credit card, you don't have to prove income. You don't have to have a cosigner. You just have to have the couple hundred bucks to put down to open up your line of credit. And if you don't pay it, well, then they just pay it with your collateral. So obviously you wouldn't want to not pay it. You want to still do everything you should do to build good credit. But this is a way where you can get started early and uh, you don't have to have a job or anything. You can just, you can do it. Um, There's a few other things to keep in mind here. When it comes to your credit score, there are a few different factors that go into it. Some of the less important ones are like the average age of your credit history. Uh, and this one actually kind of came into play the other week. I realized that the credit card I had had for many years had a $40 annual fee. And there was a version of it that they gave to people with high credit scores, same benefits, uh, 1.5 cash back, but no fee. And I'm like, well, I don't want to close my old one and get this new one because then the average age of my credit history is gonna go way down since I'll be closing the old account and then opening up a new one. So I didn't even know you could do this or, or not. I just called Capital One, I'm like, hey, is there a way I can just upgrade my current card to the better one? And they're like, yep, we can do that. Are you sure you don't wanna close it and open the new one to get the sign-on benefit? And I'm like, yeah, I don't wanna do that. I wanna keep my, my history as old as possible. So they upgraded me and I don't have to pay that fee anymore. So that's something that's like, you know, you can't really do a ton about it because you just got to get older and have a credit card for a while. That's but one it's of the weird traps, though, because you might think to is. get out of debt, I'm going to close this. I'm so smart. But then you like hurt your score. Well, to get out of debt, you, you can't just close a credit card. To get well, I mean, out of like debt. if you if you've got two credit cards and you don't want to have an irresponsible amount of things in front of you, you might close oh, yeah. the old one so that you don't get into more debt is actually what I meant to say. But Yeah, that makes sense. Then, but then closing the old one actually hurts you. So it's a really weird trap. The whole credit score thing is really weird. Unfortunately, yep. it's the game we have to play if we want things like a house someday. Unless yeah. you plan on paying cash, in which case, I guess, don't worry about it. But I'm not going to pay cash. So Paying cash for a house means uh, never getting a house for most yeah, people. It's, so. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you gotta, it's a not great system, but you got to play by the game if you want a house, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a percentage you shouldn't go above that's the big one that you're being responsible that's that's mm-hmm. a tough one to remember and you got to do a little bit of math so that's called uh your credit utilization so if you have let's say a five thousand uh, dollar line of credit and they use your your whole credit so if you have two credit cards they're both five thousand you would have ten thousand dollars of available credit to you typically you want to stay under thirty percent so if i had ten thousand dollars of total credit then I would not want to use more than 3,000 of it at any given time. Uh, that's a bit of a more important one. So 30% is a good one. I mean, it's not going to like destroy your score if you're a little over 30, but if you're always maxed out, then they're going to be like, all right, this guy's a little bit crazy. I don't know about this. Yeah, uh, you're showing that you have the opportunity <laughs> to take thousands of dollars, but you choose not to because it's responsible. Yeah. Uh, and then the biggest ones are on-time payment percentage and even if you miss one payment it can be uh, it can be a pretty big hit so that is why i have both automatic payments set up but i also actively keep an eye on my bank account balance and i keep an eye on my credit card balance just to make sure nothing ever screws up and i always have the money i need in my checking account 
I, and I've never missed a payment because of that. So it's basically like I make sure to, to do it or at least make sure that it was done. And then the automatic payment there is set up as a safety net. Um, on-time percentage is a huge thing. And then uh, another one is like, have you ever had a bankruptcy or something like that? That can be a big affecting factor. That stuff lasts so, for years. You know, try to avoid bankruptcies, but sometimes it just happens and you can't do anything about it. Uh, I think that only stays on your credit for, what is it like? Well, there's It's, it's there's a certain number of years that I'm forgetting the... I think it's seven of. years, but I can't remember if it's seven years for Chapter 11 bankruptcy or Chapter See, 7. There's seven, two different kinds. Seven sounds right, and I don't know the difference between the two because I haven't done it, but I know people that have had to file bankruptcy, and yeah. seven years sounds right. And and it's like the same thing with late payments. That'll last for a while before they forgive you for it. You know, It's hard to build mm-hmm. trust and easy to blow it in three seconds. Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully you don't have to go Try bankrupt. to avoid that. Try to avoid that. But the main thing is just make sure that you are not using using more than 30% of your credit too much. I mean, sometimes, you know, if you're like, hey, I got a big purchase to make and I, it's going to take 60% of my credit line, go ahead and do it. But then go in and maybe, maybe make an extra payment in the middle of the month to get that balance yeah. down. Because the credit agencies are not checking your utilization every single day, uh, but you don't know what day they're going to check it. So it can be useful. And actually... Uh, This doesn't matter for people who are being deadbeats, but if you pay your credit card, like I say you have a balance, the interest on your balance is actually calculated and charged daily, not monthly. So if you have a balance, it makes more sense to pay your credit card twice a month, half the amount each time than it does to wait until the end of the month and pay once. It's not a huge difference, but... Uh, I guess on a huge balance, it could be a big, pretty big difference. But because they're charging that interest every day, if you pay it on both the 15th and the 30th, then when you pay on the 15th, you reduce your balance by that much more and that much less interest is going to get charged over the next 15 days. And I don't know if there's like an optimal, like pay it every day. That might be a little a bit that of a might, hassle. Yeah, I mean, if, if you don't get paid every day at some point, it's just like this, you're just making more work for yourself. Yeah, yeah, you can do it. Um, you can do it that way. The other thing is if you're trying to rebuild your credit, like say you have a low score because maybe you missed a payment or something like that and you're trying to build it back up. Uh, one thing that my friend Andrew mentioned uh, when his wife had lower credit is they purposely didn't close certain credit cards and they would put maybe just like one purchase, like maybe put Spotify on an old card because that way every month she was getting two on-time payments for two cards instead of just one. And that helped bring that percentage back up more quickly. Yeah. And if you're really scared and you think you're irresponsible with it, you, you know, you're going to give in, you could literally just put Spotify on it, schedule the automatic payment of the 12 bucks or whatever it is, then cut that card up and forget you have a credit account other than checking to make sure it was paid. Yeah. Never do it again. You could, that would, if you're scared of credit, you can do that and start building your credit score in college and then mm-hmm. just let it go forever until eventually maybe you do look at something big like a house. That's true. That's, that could be an like absolutely you don't, valid You don't have strategy. to get credit card benefits like the 1% back if you think that it's going to tempt you to lose more money than you would gain, which is yep. very possible. That's what it's designed to do. Yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of like speaks to a bigger uh, philosophy about self-control. Like some people need to realize like I don't have self-control in a certain area of my life. So finding ways to just remove the option to self-sabotage can be very useful. You know what's actually I've never thought about this before. It's like actually it's are you a are you an in the moment self controller or do you need to self control preemptively? Because mm-hmm. either way you're solving the problem. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. I'm thinking about like 
when I've talked about investing in the past, I usually say like, you know, most financial advisors can't beat the market so they don't justify their fees, but there's probably a certain class of client out there who can't really exercise self-control when their brother calls and they're like, Hey dude, weed stocks are going up. You got to get in man or Bitcoin's going up. You got to get in man. And like for those kind of people having a financial advisor who like they're the one who sort of controls the investment decisions that, that could be very useful. Uh, some people, you know, they get really excited really quickly. And if there's another person who's like, well, let me hold on a second. Let's talk about this before we do it. That actually could, could actually uh, justify the fees over time. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's hard for people to say like, I'm that person and even harder for another person to be like, yeah, you're that person. So it's, it's going to take some self-reflection to realize like, is it worth it for me or not? Yeah. Anyway, um, next question. My biggest productivity struggle is the lack of priority and long-term goals that I have. I have hundreds of interests, but I become easily bored in them. For the most part, I'm pretty smart and I can get things pretty fast, but everything and nothing is attractive to me. How can I find direction that I need to find something I want to do long-term? Uh, Martin, did you write this about me? Uh, you know what? <laughs> I did not, but it looks like it's time to solve your problems. right? <laughs> Quick. Just shoot from the hip. Uh, man. How do you Th fix everything? This has been me forever. Like I am interested in everything. Like and Anna and I, Anna and I actually had a conversation about this in the car the other day. She was kind of saying like she understands that something can be cool to her, but she doesn't have to be the one who's good at it. She was saying she like follows an artist on Instagram who does clay sculpture, and she's like, "That's really cool to me." And I'm totally happy letting that person be the person who does the clay sculpture and just never even touching it. I'm not like that. I get interested in something and my immediate thought is, Ooh, I want to do that and become really good at it and probably build a bunch of spreadsheets to calculate the optimum strategies for it. Uh, and that creates uh, the 15 hamsters and one hamster ball syndrome that I've dealt with for many, many years. So the only way that I know to counteract this is to set up commitment devices that basically force me down one path for long enough to actually achieve something. Whether it's signing up for a big event in the future or setting up a B minor thing that's gonna charge me money if I don't do my daily habits or getting a coach who sort of is that external person that can be the drill instructor and give me feedback but also kind of make me do what I need to do. That's always what has helped me. Um, relying on just a, you know, self-motivation. I'm going to stick to this one forever and not do any of the other ones. That has never worked for me. I can count on one hand the interests that I've actually stuck with under my own volition for a very, very long period of time. Uh, in fact, the only one I can really think of right now is, um, or I guess two, singing and guitar. Yeah, I was going to say guitar. Guitar and singing are the like the two that I will do, and I, I'll never like put them aside. I'll always come back and do them. But even with those two, it's not like I'm practicing for three hours a day with each one. I've got a ton of things to do. Uh, and you might be like, well, YouTube videos and, and blogging. And no, every single one of those, I've always had some kind of commitment device to get me to do it. Yeah, and you'll phase in and out of being interested in it. You'll be like, mm -hmm. oh God, this is too many videos and I have other things I'm interested in right now, but I got to make them anyway. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, I'm at a, like right now, I am in a point where the idea of making videos is not stupidly attractive to me. There are other things that I'm very interested in and I would love to spend all day on those. 
my commitment device is the company. Like yeah. you and Tony and Anna and Ashley and Ransom, like we have a company that we have to support and stay sustainable. And the way we make money is by making videos. I would love to just like take a few months to go write a book right now. See, I think we should you know? still work out some way to do something that gives you that uninterrupted time. But yeah, the company is yeah. pretty beneficial. I would say that I enjoy having a job. Pretty cool. <laughs> it's, it's pretty, pretty nice. Cool. Yep. Um, and I think your your method here for the short-term things or the specific commitment device is pretty close to something that's helped me too because I like a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I've I've reeled it in a little bit more, I'd say. I only take like maybe six or seven things seriously, which is already a lot. And then I'll just do cursory glances at other things. But I look for maybe a meaningful short-term deadline mm-hmm. or, or near-term within the next several months is still acceptable. Um but it has to be something kind of close because the deadline helps me care. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, my photo schedule, when I publish photos on Instagram, you know, that's an arbitrary schedule. Nobody's making me do it. It's not that important. And each of the photos by themselves without that schedule, though, would seem even less important. What would be the impetus to specifically get this photo done by a certain day? Not much. And each one by itself doesn't mean much put that together with the fact that I don't want to not be posting for the people that have followed me. And that makes all three photos. And now I put them together in a matching row. So it's like, Oh, this is important because if I don't do this, the other people won't get it. Yeah. And even more than that, this is true of basically all of my pixel art to a higher degree because Mm. I don't have anything else pushing me to do it. It's usually a release date for a game or something, a holiday or actually the week that this is going out I'm currently working on this. I'm not finished, but I have three pixel homages to video games that are centered around me moving that I'm specifically making that need to be posted in a row in the right order. Oh, cool. And if I miss that chance, if I don't finish them by the time this goes out, they're not really important anymore. You know, like three months after I move, it's not that important to have made pixel art about moving. I've, the moment has passed. So the moment is the thing that will make me do it. Mm Mm-hmm. Like meaning in the short term is maybe better to me than meaning in the long term exclusively because meaning in the long term exclusively is hard to have for like 18 subjects at once. And there's nothing wrong with exploring. Yeah, that's actually a really good way to think about it. And maybe I need to think about it more with the projects that I take on. Like, is there some kind of short term thing? I don't know. the The ones that I've always done is just brute force go sign up for an event or something yeah well there aren't there aren't always like events or anything you know and i put out that i put out that song like uh that i wrote for my dad specifically because of the month i put it out on Mm -hmm. was like a national awareness month through that and it was therefore meaningful within a deadline because otherwise why can't i make my moving pixel art whenever i want why can't i t- take the photo in four months five months why today there has to be something and i really think that you shouldn't have to feel bad for not having one big long-term goal and it should be exciting to have a bunch of short-term goals and different things and explore and live life because why not yeah yeah that's i'm not gonna I be mozart i don't actually think i want to be mozart you know i would rather have a lot of fun accomplishing smaller things in 10 different areas mm-hmm that's what I've realized about myself too. Like I don't want to be the best anything because I understand what that takes and it takes the sacrifice of basically everything else. 
Yeah, uh, you take and, those you know, 15 hamsters and let let one of them <laughs> eat the other 14. That's what happens, and it's yeah. a mess. You know, it may be a little more complex than that. I was reading a book called Range. That's sort of like the thesis of that book is um, in many skills that are not super simple. Like this is going to sound blasphemous, but chess is super simple in a certain dimension where you get perfect feedback every single time you make a move. Uh, all of the moves are known or can be known like with those kind of things. They're, they're kind of simple when, as compared to something like uh, tennis, where there's just a lot more going on. You might not think that tennis is more complex than chess, but every opponent is different. You can't, you can't perfectly predict what they're going to do. You can't perfectly, you know, map out every possible move. It's much more dynamic than something yeah. like chess or golf. Um, for skills like that, the thesis of that book is people who have explored a lot tend to come in and bring many of these experiences and general competencies and, and end up better than somebody who's only ever practiced tennis. And I guess the, the counterpoint to that is uh, a lot of the people we study who have sampled many things then become better for it as experts, they did that earlier in their careers and earlier in life. And as you get further into your career, it kind of becomes uh, evident that if you are going to be world-class, there's a certain point where you, you must commit and that is the thing you do. And that's just not me. I don't want to be the best YouTuber or the best musician or whatever. I want to be capable in many areas and learn a lot and have a lot of fun along the way, you know, and help people do the same. Yeah, I'd take maybe most fulfilled. Like that would be, that seems worth aiming at. Yeah. But, you know, not realistically. I don't know how to measure that. But I I'm going to go, I'm going to compete with everyone. You're going to find a fulfilled way than you. That just no. sounds like you're not pretty fulfilled. You know, it's going to be hard to win that one. <laughs> I will only not be empty inside as long as everyone else is more empty than I am. Yeah. <laughs> I think that'll backfire, but I think yeah. just embrace the short-term projects and jumping around. There's, you don't have to have a long-term plan. Yeah. It's like specific to a, I mean, really anything. There aren't rules. Other That's than true. that we are bound to time as far as we can see. So make decisions based on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've got some plans that are long-term, but there's, there's no like, I will be this. And it's thing. like, well, some things don't require long-term planning. If I want to be mm -hmm. a doctor that requires a long-term plan, mm -hmm. maybe I should know soon. But if I just want to learn how to, you know, play piano, I don't, if to a certain degree, I don't have to have that ready 20 years in advance. I don't. Yeah have to i can try it later if i feel like it yep yeah i've, I've become a pretty decent guitarist without a long-term plan on it would i be better if i had a long-term plan yes but would but you enjoy I'm it okay more? okay with the know. fact that i'm not and you know there may come a time where like that becomes the primary interest and there's like a thing i want to do and I, I you know develop better practice schedules because of it but uh right now the fact that I do it for fun and I do get better, that's good enough. So I think that's our five questions. That Boom. is. That's those. Cool. Well, yeah, now I can get back to uh, finishing up my personal finance tech tree and money pipeline diagrams and getting cranking on this investing video. Just turning into a huge project. So part of that huge project is making it not a huge video. My first 
crack at it was an hour long and i don't know if i wanted to be an hour I long feel <laughs> i feel like that's a few minutes above me you know maybe 58 minutes maybe That'll yeah i was thinking 57 and a half would probably be like the most my audience would tolerate so you know i gotta yeah. find two and a half minutes to cut it's gonna be tough <laughs> anyway uh if you want to find the show notes for this episode they're going to be over at the inforium.com slash 316 no not 316 just 16 I always forget that we count our episodes from the beginning of CIG podcast, but we don't publicly count them that way. The inforium.com slash 16 is where you'll find the show notes. Um, we may have a link to, oh, I'll have a link to the uh, personal finance tech tree at the very least. So that'll be there. Investing video should be there. Check it out. If you are not subscribed to the show, the inforium.com is where you can go to get subscribed on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts, you're going to find the show on that platform because that's how podcast platforms work these days. Unless you're on like, I don't know, some offline podcast platform, then we're probably I'll not I'll email there. you the MP3. There you go. That's you well. Go. Offline's not going to help with email. You're going to have to sneak in a oh, thumb drive. Oh no, you're right. The, the email's on the internet. I'm so used to the internet now. Can what we uh, come of me? Can we put the podcast on like cassette tapes and Ge- sell them? We can geocache them. That's what cassette- we should do. Oh, there we go. Yeah, we'll put them in like geocache time capsule tins, like yeah, those if you want hammered episode, copper tins from like Tivana. There we go. That would actually be a pretty funny challenge if that you had like cool. a lost episode of the Inforium and people had to go geocache, Honestly, find it, and it's like a series of clues that'd be all great. over the world. I'm gonna, every time I travel to a conference, I'm going to bury a clue somewhere, and one day there will be a lost Inforium episode, and uh, we'll see if anybody has this the is, inclination. This is the only thing worth making a long-term plan about <laughs> that we have to commit to right now. It actually is. I told Annie the other day, like, the best present she could probably give me is uh, like some sort of wild goose chase clue hunt. <laughs> so we'll see if I ever get one. I don't know. I made one for her the first birthday that she had. When we yeah, were together. I remember that. It was great. <laughs> that was intricate. Uh, anyway, if you have questions for us, I'm Tom Frankly over on Twitter and Instagram. You can go ahead and follow me. And Martin is Yo Martholomew on both platforms as well. So follow us, send us your questions, or put them in the YouTube comments over on uh, the YouTube channel for the Inforium. I'm not sure. Is it? Is it? Have we changed the link yet? I forgot about that, so I have no idea. Let's find out. YouTube.com slash the end. I thought we were waiting for some sort of data on how that doesn't work. I think it's still the College Info or something. I think it's still the College Info Geek Podcast. It is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was task. worried about like losing the old URL and then like I don't know some bot farm taking it or something. I don't know. So anyway, we haven't we haven't done it yet. Maybe we should though. <laughs> it's maybe at this point we've been running the Emporium for so long that it's time to change the URL. So well, I now, mean, I now know. if somebody's listening and they want to mess with us, you know, we just revealed our weakness, so we should probably dun, go ahead dun, and claim dun. it before this episode. Goes All right, out. we'll claim it. I'll do it right after the episode. So type in the Inforium in YouTube and you'll find us. And uh, that is all we got for this episode. So thanks as always for hanging out with us. And we'll see you in the next one. Thank you.